Hey, good day, everyone. And I am your host, Jeff Freeman, and welcome to the Curse of Oak Island and Beyond live show. Uh, today, I have the honor to be joined by three very, very distinguished guests. Uh, today, we have Miss Gretchen Cornwall with us, Mr. Wayne Murphy, and Mr. Sean Williamson. Welcome to you three. I'd like to go and do a little bit of a further introduction and start with uh, uh, Miss Gretchen Cornwall. Now, you are an author and also historian and a singer-songwriter, right? Is that correct? Yes, I, I uh, do enjoy the creative arts, but I'm also keenly interested in history. Mm -hmm. And in song, uh, I realized that I love to tell stories. And often folk songs are laced with historical mm -hmm. events. And uh, the Templars grabbed my attention in the in the mid '90s, and I just couldn't put the subject down, and I kept pursuing it. And then I finally realized I wanted to write about it, speak about it, and travel and find out as much as I could. And I was blessed to live in the UK for almost 20 years now. So, but it's a privilege to be here today. Thank you. Thank you so much, and I'm glad you're here. Uh, Mr. Wayne Murphy, uh, now you've uh, you've got quite a, a background as well. You've uh, been in law enforcement for quite a few years. Is that correct? Um, I started, uh, I got about 30 years in. I started off as a, a federal game warden, and I also worked for the sheriff's department. Mm -hmm. And then I, in the 1980, I joined the Milwaukee Police Department, where I spent 25 years. Wow. After I retired, um, I took some various other jobs, transportation coordinator for a local county, something that I've never done before, but I wanted to try. Mm -hmm. And then I took a job with the state as a welfare fraud investigator wow. and also with a department of corrections for violent sexual offenders. Oh, wow. And uh, so I've been involved in investigations of major scales for quite a long time. Mm -hmm. And it's a real pleasure to be here. And thank, thank you. you. Yes, I appreciate that. And thank you for your service, sir. I appreciate that very much. And I know that our members do as well. Uh, and thirdly, we uh, we have uh, Mr. Sean Williamson, uh, who is a renowned sculptor and stonemason. Um, and I believe uh, uh, you're also an author. Is that correct, sir? Yeah, I, you know, I, I write as a, as a hobby. And uh, my main... Raison d'etre has been uh, building in stone, mm -hmm. uh, sculpting. I work as a consultant stonemason. I also do uh, analysis of suspected antiquitarian frauds wow. uh, from time to time. And I've replicated uh, carvings, uh, medieval carvings uh, for museums and, uh, and later than that, actually, as well. Uh, you know, carve the uh, copy one exactly, and that goes out on show to the people. And the you know the the one that needs protecting uh, goes in the safe, so to speak. But uh, my my area, you know, I, I I worked with Dr. Andrew Sinclair as his researcher or man of stone for several years, and uh, our main that started off with investigation of Knight Templar tombstones. Mm -hmm. So his academic esteem and my sort of practical stonemasonry skills, uh, you know, we, we came up with some fabulous uh, information and breakthroughs uh, and actual proof uh, of that genre, the type of tombstones 
uh, Temple of Tombstones, which uh, I'll, I've, I've written a 10,000 word report on that, but wow. I'm kind of sat on it at the moment. <laughs> and lucky, luckily to, uh, lucky to have met uh, Wayne who contacted me. Uh, and as I'd been at sea in Canada, I just thought, wow, you know, what a what a great connection, and I, I knew of Gretchen's esteem uh, as a writer, and yep. um, sort of the three of us just gelled really. So uh, it's an honor to to be on your show, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you very much, and I appreciate it again uh, for you three to be here. Uh, this is quite an honor, and I I am a believer, uh, as most of our members know already, in the Templar connection, not only to um, Scotland and then over to Nova Scotia, but uh, and beyond into the North America, deeper into North America. Uh, I am a believer that they have been here. So it's an honor for me to be able to have you three here uh, to give us a little bit more of an education on this, because that is something that uh, has been lacking for me anyway, personally, and I'm, and I'm sure with some others as well, to, um, to get a little bit more uh, detail on exactly uh, what you believe and what the research that you guys have worked on together. Um, and with that, I'd like to start off with Wayne. Now, Wayne, you were the one that kind of brought everybody together. Is that correct? Well, it was a, it's quite an inter interesting thing, the way this happened. Mm -hmm. And um, in a, about the 1980s, I was hunting back in the woods. Um, we had a large snowstorm, and me and my brother were back there, and we had about a foot of snow. Wow. Uh, he went his way, I went mine, and and anybody who's a hunter appreciates having some snow and ground cover and things like that. Mm -hmm. But I was going through a, to a new area that I've hunted for years, but I came in from a different way this time. And as I was approaching this area, I could see the river where I wanted to be, but I noticed that the land didn't look right. Hmm. And um, And as I got closer... You got to be careful going through a foot of snow because you just don't know what's underneath it. All of a sudden, I come to a rock ledge. Oh, wow. And, and as I got closer, I said, holy man, this is about 30 feet down. Wow. So I made my way around, and um, I came upon this cave, which I call the cave. Having no experience at all in Templars and things like that, um, I was just amazed. So being a, a police officer... Uh, carrying a large hunting rifle, uh, that isn't going to scare me too much, I guess. Mm -hmm. So I did the smart thing. I, th I, th I threw a large stick inside because <laughs> we have wolves and bears and mountain lions. And when they didn't throw it back out, I felt pretty good. And yeah. So uh, I went in. And once I got in there, I realized that this wasn't um, your natural cave because the walls were flat and square at 90 degrees. Hmm. There was an entrance on the east end, and as I made my way, I could notice that there was a ceiling above me. It come to a hard right-hand 90-degree turn. So I went in there, and I could see that animals had been in there using it. Right. And um, then I noticed that there was a large entrance, and there was a stone in front of it. So I climbed over, a uh, much younger man at that time, and able to do these things, and... Uh, kind of stood back in admiration and um, noticed a large round rock on top. And I guess with that, I'd like to take you on a PowerPoint presentation okay. to how this came about. All right. And Carlos, you want to bring us in? There we go. 
This is our team logo. This was designed uh, by our producer today, Carlos Fernandez at Team Templar Studios here in Wisconsin. And he does a fantastic job and we'd like to thank him. And also I'd like to thank Gretchen Cornwall and Scott Williamson for their, their amazing work. Uh, in the last week or so, I've reached out to some Native American people. Um, chief Daniel Thomas, Strongwalker, traditional chief of the Delaware Nation, and also Sonia Isaac Sarret from the Mi'kmaq tribe from Nova Scotia. And Sonia was instrumental in providing me with some information today that um, I've never known before. And, and Gretchen and Sean um, will be able to speak further on this as I'm no historian. But what Sonia was so able to come up with is she said that the Templars were on their land, but they did not leave no gold on Oak Island. Hmm. And she said when she went to her people for this information, they offered this without even asking. And she also mentioned the island of Cape Breton. That's where they went. And um, she said that their flag has um, markings of the Templars and also that they use the sun and moon because these stars only align themselves every hundred years. Uh -huh. So we're going to go back to Wisconsin now. And thank you, Chief Daniel Thomas and Sonia Isaac Surratt from the Mi'kmaq. I appreciate your help. Um, in, the, in about the year 2017, I was sitting in my ground blind, and I came across what I call Frog Rock at the time. And um, Gretchen, after she came to Wisconsin, named it the Nightstone. And there is a... What you can see there, Gretchen took this photo of the way it looks in Wisconsin at the time um, that Gretchen was there. I'm standing in front of the tomb, and you can notice that there's a round, mm -hmm. round rock on top. And this is um, heavily wooded, and it's not the most easy thing to get into. Yeah, nature does not make things quite like that. They don't do those no. angles that way, yeah, right. <laughs> no, and you can see this is me going inside of the tomb, and there's that large rock I spoke about. Mm -hmm. And, of course, Sean Williamson, our esteemed uh, mason and ancient stone master. <laughs> and I got a hold of Sean by the courtesy of Gretchen. I reached out to Sean and sent him a photo, and... I'm sure Sean was extremely busy at the time, but being a gracious gentleman as he is, he took time to respond back. And here you can see some of Sean's artwork, uh, stonework, just Fantastic. really, really impressive. It is very impressive. And also my partner in crime, Gretchen Cornwall, <laughs> and uh, how we met was uh, very extraordinary. When I found a cross pate on a rock, I had no idea what to do with it. I'm not skilled in this type of knowledge. So I contacted quite a few authors and they all thought I was this crazy guy. So that was fine. And then finally someone, well, why don't you contact Gretchen Cornwall? Mm -hmm. She knows a lot about this stuff. 
So I put on my investigator hat, looked up Gretchen Cornwall, did some research, and I reached out through her to Facebook. I sent her a message, and I said, would you take a look at something for me? So I sent her one picture of a cross pate. And I don't think it was maybe 15, 20 minutes later, I saw and I got a phone call. And this woman came on the phone. She says, is that what I think it is? I says, I don't know. You tell me. Yep. Gretchen, if you would like to add to that. Oh, wow. I, I tell you, as a historian, that's exactly the type of an encounter one dreams of and rarely has. I just about fell out of my chair when I, when I saw that image. And the deterioration rate was correct. Mm -hmm. The symbolism was correct. And I, I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. I had to know more. I had to find out more. And uh, this is such a tremendous opportunity to understand what happened in North America between not only the indigenous peoples there, but the Templar fugitives who were escaping persecution. Yeah. And these peoples, you know, would have united in order to, to survive. Now, these would have been capable, hardened uh, men at arms who uh, came richly resourced. And as friends, they might have been very useful to the welcoming tribe who in turn helped them survive in a new landscape mm -hmm. as rich as it was. But they, the Templars would have taken their craft and skills with them. They're very capable of heavy excavation, heavy, you know, uh, fine, intricate carvings. Yes, that's the uh, carving right there. And though it looks humble, it is not. It's deceptive. Mm -hmm. So it's like easy to walk past. This. Yeah, absolutely. And like you mentioned, you, you, you had said something about the fact that the weathering of it was about correct for its time period, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. If those lines were crisp and sharp. No, no. Uh, granted, I'm looking at this from an intellectual perspective mm -hmm. and having been in front of carvings, you know, uh, ancient medieval carvings for nearly 20 years, Sean is the master at this. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're so uh, thrilled to have him on board to be able to examine these uh, carvings and uh, hopefully in person in the near future. Mm -hmm. Some of the photos that you're going to see have not been released wow. and coming up and uh, maybe we'll or we won't have time to get to that or maybe we have to save for a later episode yeah we may have a part two yeah <laughs> and um this is uh again this is a picture of, of the tomb mm -hmm. and we have already talked about that so i'm going to scroll by some of these pictures and one has to remember when you're up in this part of the woods you're never alone and uh, this is a picture of a black bear that came in on my trail camp. So you have to be aware of your surroundings and who you're there. When uh, Gretchen and I, where I were there, there was plenty of bear tracks around. And you can see there's a timber wolf. Yep. He had come into one of my locations. And there's a large male bobcat. Yep. And I didn't, I wasn't fortunate enough to get the, uh, the mountain lion on there. But um, they're there. Mm -hmm. And Sean had me do something with some of the photos that I had taken. And um, he said, Wayne, he said, convert these to black and white. Oh. 
and I was so grateful that I did. And what I did, I sent Sean quite a few photos, and I did some comparatives. And you'll see this one is black and white, and the next one, well, this is going back to the original one I sent to mm -hmm. to Gretchen. Um, forgive the mismatch order. Oh, I can clearly see um, the cross on there. Yeah. Center of it, yep. And can you imagine just coming across this large rock in the woods? You'd walk right by it. Yeah, yep. And, and go ahead, Gretchen. Apologies. It's important to understand the difference in the tools that were used. Uh, the indigenous peoples were not using pointed instruments to create these types of uh, symbols. And Wayne and I traveled to 90 miles south to Rocha Cree State Park mm -hmm. just to examine the difference in the carvings there that were known to be indigenous in these right. night and day because I was very concerned about cultural misappropriation. Oh, that, that, and that was very important to respect the people's that lived there before uh, European ancestors arrived. Uh, but just how far back did they arrive? Mm -hmm. So that's the history I'd like to find out. And what did they share together as far as our cultures were concerned? Right, and that's a very interesting point because as an investigator, you need to make sure that you're not looking at something like you said, cross, uh, how, did you how did you pronounce that again? Cross Cultural misappropriation, yeah, taking somebody else's culture. Mm -hmm. And we all know that the Nazis did that. They took sacred right. symbols from around the world. They also took uh, the symbols of the Knights Templar and abused and misused them. So it's very important to me to make sure, because I'm aware of that history, that right. I do not in kind create a destructive mythology. All right. That's fantastic. Yeah, you can obviously see that. And again, with the erosion and also the lichen and the growth that would get on it, it would also mm -hmm. help destroy it over years as well. Yep. Yes. You, if, you, if you look at the cross pate, you can see the arch, outstretched arms and it going straight up. And you'll notice that off to the right-hand side, there appears to be a circle. And the cross that they found on Oak Island, the lead cross, that head was going to the left. Right. Well, if you would invert that, this would be going to the right. Mm -hmm. And another thing, what I think is very important in doing my investigative work, the Vikings are the Norse. When they came, they didn't survive enough in order to stay in this country. And the tribes that they met weren't just these meek, mild-mannered people. They were warrior-type class of people. Mm -hmm. And But there has to be something so special about the Templars that... The connection I'm trying to make is that for some reason, our ancestors and Native Americans must have felt they had a good heart to let them pass yep. so far inland yep. to, to provide them protection, um, to speak to the other tribes of the territories that they were coming into. Yep. Yeah, that's got to be something else. I mean, in itself, because of the fact that they're traveling into unknown territory, they have no idea what they're going to encounter or who they're going to encounter. Are these people hostile or not? And we don't know just, you know, how many there were of the Templars coming in at that time. You know, is there a, a sizable army coming in or is there just a few, you know, a hundred or yeah. so? Who knows? 
So yeah, Jeff, that's a good point. Forgive me if I'm interrupting, but I think this has been going on for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And the uh, Vikings, the Norsemen, are the ancestors of the Templars. Mm -hmm. It uh, I view William the Conqueror of England, who took the throne in 1066 as the last and greatest Viking raider. And it uh, uh, we know that Newfoundland dates uh, the site there uh, dates to 10 you know 1000 AD. Uh, so they've been going back and forth for a long time. And the Duke of Normandy, the William the Conqueror, uh, was uh, uh, married into the royalty of, of the Kingdom of France and those, those duchies in Fran France. And just east of there, not uh, too many years later, Bernard de Clairvaux was born. And he joined two failing abbeys, the Cistercian abbeys. And by the time he was done with his life, not only had he grown hundreds of Cistercian abbeys, but he was a major mastermind behind the Knights Templar. So there's a clear line all the way back. But I think the cultural shift in believing in, in love, now the, the Templar's original mission was one of peace and protection mm -hmm. they were warriors and they were uh fearsome you didn't want to mess with them you didn't uh so they they were quite capable mm -hmm. but they were also interested in alternative um, experiences knowledge they didn't mind who the messenger was they wanted to learn and that's one of the reasons why they got into trouble with the uh church and the pope and, and the king philip because he felt threatened by them Right. Sorry if that's too much. No, no, please. I, I, absolutely wonderful. And, and again, I, as I mentioned earlier before we got started, that this is going to be an education for us all, uh, including myself, because I'm fascinated by this, and I know many of our members are as well. So please, anytime you have that kind of information, please share it uh, with us like that. That's fantastic. So, um, so yeah. So you got there's, a picture there, Wayne. Go ahead. There's an interesting connection with the Vikings and um, the Stockbridge tribe. Um, one has to remember that the Mi'kmaq, the Abernaki, the Lenape, the Delaware, the Muncie, the Mohican, Mohegans were all along this eastern seaboard, all the way up from Maine down to New York. Right. Um, they were what they call the Algonquin people, and they could all speak the same language oh, with just uh, little variations. In the 1600s in the Hudson Bay area, when the Dutch were trading with the Stockbridge, they called them a peaceful tribe, and they were giving them watered-down rum and trade for beaver pelts. Mm -hmm. Well, the Dutch tried to convert them to Christianity, and the Stockbridge wouldn't. And no matter how hard they pressed them, they, they said, no, we're not going to do this, because they were terribly afraid of the people in the longboats mm -hmm. that would come back and punish them if they quit believing in the ancient Norse gods. Wow. And that's called the legend of corn hair. And the corn hair, meaning the yellow right. hair of the corn, um, the Norwegian, the blonde haired, blue eyes, I would assume. Yep, so sense. the travels have been going on for a long time. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's no doubt about that, and I think you're exactly right. And they would, as you said, they would they would find many of the native uh, uh, native tribes as they're coming along the way. And as you mentioned, Gretchen, they're going to have to work with them. And the fact that the, simply the fact that they want to, because that's their very nature, uh, would would make them appeal in a different light to those natives uh, Americans as they came across. So, 
uh, as long as they can keep that and and make their way and make friends along the way and guides it's like you you know uh, it mm. makes total sense. Well, you know, come in and just fight their way through, like the yeah. conquistadors or whatever. You know, they had lost uh, the the uh, Holy Land, mm. uh, Aco, uh, the city of Acre. Aco was their last uh, uh, foothold, mm. so they knew what it was like to get a, a nasty, bloody nose. And mm. then, of course, the king of France or the the French king turned against them, and his. Um, puppet Pope uh, also was used to turn against them. So they'd had enough enemies. So I'm guessing as somebody who wanted to get away, take something very important with them, survive, they would want to seek out friends, even if they've got their sword behind their back. (laughs) And um, this is where the specialty of Sean Williams comes in. Sean has not been able to make it on scene to this site, but I'd like to get Sean's thought on this tomb picture that you can see. Well, yeah, I mean, we discussed discussed it productively, uh, Wayne, when, you know, you've got the, the danger of perhaps confusing uh, ruinous building with natural phenomenon you know, geo, geological uh, makeup that that perhaps looks more than it is. But, you know, I, I actually see the design of, uh, you know, a basic type of building being carried out on this site. Uh, stones moved, carvings into uh, what looks to be hard granite style rock, uh, Type type geological uh, features, and having analysed the pictures of the carving, uh, you know you can see uh, crosses, triangles, the cross pate, and other anomalous uh, inscribings, shall we call them? And you know if somebody's going to make a mark on rock with chisel with a chisel then, you know, you need good steel. You, mm. need a, you need a hammer or a mallet or something to drive the chisel to make the impression. And it's, you know, the marks were not made by animals. Mm. So we are trying to make out, you know, what, who made them and why. And why did the building, why does the rock, formation around these areas look as if it's you know been built in a in a sort of a rudimentary way you know you you see similar type things happening in 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 europe and ireland you know built by the celts Mm. so i saw kind of the hand of man there and one of my suggestions was to you know, let's investigate below the below below ground level, because as we know, Earth builds up around the rock uh, rocks themselves over time, and it could be co- covering a lot more uh, direct evidence. So, you know, we're pl- we're planning on the investigations, mm-hmm. uh, making uh, actually 
either using plaster or resin or something like that to uh, make a mold, a male mold from the reverse carving and to see if there's any any more evidence that we can, you know, find out directly. But it's also the sense of something big here. You know, it's not, it's not, you know, there's, there's always too much uh, attention brought to, oh, it's got to be empirical evidence. It's got to be direct, you know. But sometimes, you know, many, many, many great areas have been found through intuition, you know, and, 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 and all other ways that aren't regular. I call them irregular ways. And uh, it's, uh, it's going to be a fascinating project. And uh, you just got the feeling that it's going to bring forth some very, very interesting historical truths. Mm -hmm. And that's really interesting to have your perspective on that, because here we have you know, Wayne and Gretchen looking into the history behind, you know, uh, Gretchen has so much of her knowledge in the Templars coming over uh, and through Oak Island and, and on their way into, uh, you know, into the interior of North America. And then Wayne's, you know, being able to find these and recognize these and his uh, abilities as a police officer and an investigator to be able to invest this. And then your perspective coming in, in as a stonemason and a person who works with stone and carvings and such of that nature. I mean, it is. You, you created the, the, the perfect trio of, of knowledge here to be able to decipher this stuff. And that's just fantastic. It's, uh, it's amazing how this all came together. As we had spoke earlier, um, we kind of see this as a diamond with many facets. Mm-hmm. Gretchen brings her expertise. Sean brings his expertise. I look at it a completely different way. And one of the most amazing things about this whole find and how it started that it's over 40 years old. And Gretchen can attest to this, that when you're back in this area, even though I hunted this for many years mm-hmm. and, um, I've always came across this, that when I was back there, that I was misplaced. I knew where I was, but it just seemed like I just, something wasn't right. So when my sons got old enough to hunt, and then I was asking one of them sitting around the table, and I said, "Uh, you know, back there by the tomb in the cave or whatever you want to call it, whatever it is. I said, can I ask you something kind of personal? And they said, sure, Dad, what is it? I said, you ever felt misplaced back there? And they both looked at me like, oh, the old man's losing it, I guess. And uh, they said, no, Dad, we felt the same thing. Wow, that's very interesting. And um, I said, I, I said, what did you feel like? They said, we felt like we didn't know where we were at. It didn't happen all the time, but it would came and come and go. And I had talked to another. There was a fourth team member that um, I will not mention at this time. Uh, it's it's in the works. And um, we had talked about this at great length. Mm-hmm. But um, when Gretchen came and she got a chance to be near the tomb and in the tomb, she got a chance to feel this firsthand. Now, I read that in her book. I was reading your, your photo journal uh, and have thankfully finished it. And it was fantastic, by the way. Uh, great. And, uh, and I read that you had made a comment in there about when you were on site and how it gave you a feeling. Could, could you describe that a little bit? Well, having 
been in sacred places of power mm -hmm. in Europe, that hit me full force. There was power there. And you don't get that same feeling at McDonald's, do you? And it wasn't just the ominous architecture, which it is. The photos do not do this justice whatsoever. It, it is, you feel the weight of the, the, that massive boulder. Um, you, you feel it all. And I, I actually felt as if somebody had a timer and then decided that we'd seen enough and I just felt this incredible wave of physical peril mm. as if a big bear was coming over the hill or somebody with a shotgun saying, okay, you know, you've had enough, go away. Time to go. <laughs> and I, I really, I just, I responded to that in a very visceral way. And, and I always think I have a poker face, but I've been told I don't. Uh, but Wayne asked me, What's, are you all right? And, and I said, well, I think we need to leave now. <laughs> And I really thought something physically wanted to harm us at that point and wanted us out of there. Wow. So it is a PowerPoint. It is a power place. Yep. And we were allowed in for a specified period of time. Right. And it's a strange place. And I think that the experiences Wayne and I had were mirrored in the oddities that happen on Oak Island. Equipment malfunction, strange lights, feelings, apparitions, on and on and on. But um, and I think that uh, those places of power are often imbued with protection mm -hmm. in order to frighten people away and control the amount of information that's there. When I first arrived there and Wayne took me out on day one, I tell you, I didn't see very much. And I was crestfallen and disappointed and we could see that. And I had to go away and remember the erosion, lighting, and other atmospheric phenomenon that would affect how one sees an ancient carving. And several days later, I, you know, I just got down to research. I went to the uh, Stockbridge Munsee, uh, information center, uh, started looking into the tribes in the area, tried to meet people. And we went back after this massive, epic, movie-worthy <laughs> thunderstorm, and it just poured rain and sheet lightning. We got there, and literally, Wayne said uh, a prayer and said, you know, please let us see, let me open, open my eyes. And I tell you, I saw more in that moment. Uh, there are carvings on that stone that weren't there the first time. And I took hundreds of pictures, but, but they did not translate. The images in the book were the most clear, but there is much more there. So, you know, I'm so grateful that Sean is on the scene. He has technology information that I don't have, Wayne didn't have, and I came away knowing I'd only scratched the surface of that, that uh, the night stone, as I called it. Mm -hmm. And in examining the Westford night in, in uh, comparison, there is a real comparison there. Um, so it was, forgive me for all of that, that was, it was just such a tremendous experience both of, okay, your time is up, get out of here, and um, impending peril. And then also the different way we could see what was available um, at those two points. Mm -hmm. so.
Yeah, I know, it, 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 Sean, you too. I, I know that there was a, I think I read in one of your, uh, after one of your sculptures that you've done, and I forgive me, I forgot the name. I believe it was a, uh, a, a female sculpture that you had done. You had a feeling of something during that time as well, did you not? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, you get, uh, you get intuitions. I, I, I mean, I believe that uh, the guy that found eventually came up across what was supposed to be the ruins of Troy uh, and dreamt about nobody could find them, but this guy found it through a dream, you know, and, you know, there's other ways to, uh, to approach investigation uh, in, of this nature, I think. And uh, I think with, uh, you know, the combination of, you know, different cultures being involved together, it really strengthens the, uh, you know, the bond, and it also strengthens uh, that. I guess you would call it, perhaps, you know, in Gretchen's words, like a sacred bond to the, to the earth in that respect. Right, and you're getting a perception of some sort or a feeling from that. Um, that's interesting because when you when you when you put yourself into something so emotionally. Um, that I think that emotion you're you're very uh, susceptible to picking up emotion from it as well, uh, and there could be something there that's uh, you know we, we could talk all day about things in the paranormal, but but I think that that's a sense that you get, and that's very interesting, very very interesting. I, I think the uh, what I was gonna I should have added actually was the uh, you know there's a an electromagnetic thing going on with stone somehow it. Mm -hmm. it seems to we seem to be able to interact with it because you know when i've done uh, uh testing for for forgeries and stuff mm -hmm. you know it's an intuition if somebody's putting you know heart and soul into their work yep. you get that back from the stone itself but if you're putting something in that's you know based on money and trying to make something look like it it should you right. can pick up on that sense as well and uh, i did i tested out 10 with this dealer in mayfair a big antiquarian dealer and i got seven out of ten right on testing for you know if if, if actually they'd been made as as forgeries right. so i wasn't too far off with that but i was able to you know examine tool marks, uh, carving techniques, mm -hmm. precision lines, indications of how sharp chisels were, indications of what chisels were used. But then there's also this other thing of intuition of uh, being able to gauge something that's false, you know, by somehow getting something back from the stone. So I've always felt that with stone. And uh, that's one of the, that's one of the things that keeps me, you know, working it in a, in a, in, in different ways. And, uh, you know, I'm, I, I, I just can't wait to get over to the site, uh, with the team and stuff and, uh, really, you know, get to grips with it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. For you to be there. I can't wait for that. You know what? I would love to be there as well because I, 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 I'm thinking, cause I'm from the UP of Michigan. I'm a Uper, uh, you know, in my heritage. And I, so I love that whole area and it wouldn't be, 
too far away for me to take a little run to go over to uh, Minnesota and join you guys. I'd love to do yeah. that. <laughs> so when you get together, make sure you tell me, because I might just find a flight, you know, and get over there. We'll, ha we'll have to invite you around the campfire for some tall oh, tales. That would be awesome. That would really be awesome. But I know, that Wayne, I know, Wayne, you must get that same kind of sense when you're out there and you're so in, you know, your, your roots and your, the, the thing about your, the fact that you've been there for so long, you've hunted you probably have that feeling as well when you're there. Is that not right? Well, yes. This, and it was almost like I was led to this area mm -hmm. because I had never seen this, this rock before. It's very well hidden. And um, so basically 40 years pass. It's, it's kept bothering me all this time. Mm -hmm. um, working in police department, major investigations, raising a family and things of that. I'd always come back. And then it led me to this rock with a stone, with a cross pate on. And then from there, it just, I, I just had to go further. Mm -hmm. um, became friends with Gretchen and led to her coming, a book, um, learning. Uh, they're educating me so well mm -hmm. in all things Templar. So then that led me with the knowledge that she was able to provide me with i went back into the cave and we found so much more but through this i got to know sean a little better and that was a real blessing in itself and and as sean become i would say a friend and uh, he to trust me he began to tell me stories and sean has a great admiration for the native american people and uh, Sean, if you would tell some of your encounters with Native Americans, I think it's truly amazing. Yeah, well, when I was when I was first at sea on the Great Lakes as a a boy, I was I was eighteen, and uh, I was on the uh, Canadian Hunter. There was uh, uh, a great a great guy there that belonged to, I think it was the Seminoles, if I've pronounced that right. But uh, he told me I'd got a bear guardian. And later on, I actually learned to carve soapstone on the Great Lakes from Thunder Bay. That's what I used to do. You know, we were out on Lake Superior quite often and all, all, different, all of the different lakes and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of learning about Native Americans in, in that respect. And then uh, when I, after I'd come back to this country, I, I went back to Vermont in, I think it was about 2002. And I got introduced to the Abenakis who, oh. who, who actually, I think in, you know, American history, they fought with the French against the British. And I think they're quite a, a unique uh culture in that respect uh, the way they dress and stuff the headdresses go round the top of the head rather than falling down the back and you know one of what we were discussing which they were really fascinated about which they really wanted to do was uh, you know I was just like a technician I was going to teach them stone carving then they were going to carve their own clan symbols on on the stones and mm -hmm. You know, I, uh, there was a a connection between me and them, and lo and behold, one of their guys also said, 
you know, you've got a bear guardian. So that came from two two separate sources. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know what I was doing over there. I was just, uh, you know, I should have carried on at sea or whatever on the lakes. I was down the eastern seaboard. And there I was kind of, my father was based in Halifax, Nova Scotia. He was also in St. John's, Newfoundland. He got me the work basically with upper lake shipping and, you know, I'm going over these places where probably the Templars were mm-hmm. without knowing why, but it was kind of fed into me all this stuff bit by bit. Mm-hmm. And it stayed with me ever since, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't know what's going on with it, but everywhere, you know, it seems to have been a, a revisit of stuff that's gone on in my, you know, my ancestors were actually from Clan Gunn up in the Scot in, in Scotland. And that's how I was connected to the Sinclairs. So obviously, you know, I was connected to some kind of quest and that's what I like to call it. It's a quest. I don't, I don't actually know where it's going, but when I met, uh, when Wayne contacted me, you know, this stuff started to come back again, you know, and 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 then I started to talk to Gretchen about her knowledge and stuff, and it, everything everything gelled. But just whilst I'm on it, there was one thing here that I have to I, I never mentioned to anybody, and that was I did watch a series of the uh, Oak Island, and they did find a chisel at one point in time, and that. The curious thing about that, I don't know if anybody, if this was picked up, but it had a a big head on it, which is like, it's called a mallet head. And that's the sort of chisel that a European stonemason would use on roughing out stone for ashlars or, you know, for cathedrals. Oh, really? And and, And why that was there on Oak Island, which is obviously heavy engineering and all the rest of it, just made me think a little, what's going on with that, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think you might be able to date the steel on that for the for the Oak Island chisel. But, you know, that's that's my chisels, you know, is my trade. And You're I can right. recognize them. I know how old they are, the steel, the different types of uh, uh, steel to be used, the different types of shapes. There's multiple various techniques for, for working stone. And I aim to bring all that to bear on, uh, you know, at Wayne's Wisconsin uh, project, uh, you know, helped by 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 Gretchen, etc. And you know, I'm looking. I'm so looking forward to the whole thing. Thank you. That was phenomenal, uh, Sean. Forgive me. I, I had communi- I had trouble <laughs> logging in today, and I've just realized that my computer is not plugged into the wall. My battery is going to go down soon, so I'm just going to rudely interrupt you both and disappear for t- just a second. Go right ahead. Go right ahead. Yep. That's that's very interesting, and I do remember that episode, Sean, when they when they found that chisel, and uh, and I think you're, you're talking about the the the, the actual. The I don't know if you'd call it the head of it or the port of it that's yeah. by a hammer. Now that had a particular yeah. shape to it. Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah, they, well, interesting. yeah, they used to use the mallet headed. It's you know they they used that formation when they were uh, you know making the chisel, forging it. Mm-hmm. So it's used with a it, back then. It would have been a heavy wooden mallet. 
Mm-hmm. So that's an interesting dimension, I think, to that. Usually if you're roughing out, uh, you know, heavy sort of stonework or whatever, heavy type engineering, the chisel different, you would use a, a steel hammer to get more impact, you know. Right. But why that was there, I don't know. But it was like, that's, just, again, you know, it's a sort the kind of a chisel that you would find in a European cathedral mason's yard. Right. So there was no good reason for it to be there. In other words, yeah, absolutely. And they, Not they, really, no. Things like that, yep. Uh, only if, you know, there's something else going on mm-hmm. that we haven't, that they haven't discovered yet. But it was... Uh, it was certainly, uh, like I say, something that you would find on a European cathedral in a mason's yard. Yeah, something we didn't pick up on at all. Wow, interesting. And I don't think they really talked about that too much either on the show. Um, and, and a lot of people, when they see stuff like that, you know, you know we watch the show uh, time and time again, and we see them finding, you know, a, a cribbing spike or, a, uh, or an oxen shoe or something like that. And you're thinking, oh, well, it's another oxen shoe. But they all tell a story. Yeah. And like your your response on this particular thing, you picked up on something about that particular chisel that most people would have just disregarded. Well, that's another chisel. Okay, so they used it for whatever. But you saw a perspective on that 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 tells a bigger story, and that's what's so fascinating. Absolutely. Hmm. Yeah, I th- I, th- I think they're going to find more more of that type of evidence. You know. Yep. And who would have brought something like that there? You know, that's the exactly. other part of that. You know, yeah, exactly. Yep. Uh, You know, Oak Island has uh, several articles now that have been dated and are datable, such as Dr. Ian Spooner had dated the stone platform in the swamp to 1220, which is very specific. In the 1990s, uh, coconut fibers were found on the island apparently in their bucket loads. And those were dated to 1200 by five different tests. Uh, Now we have this uh, handheld chisel that that Sean has been describing that requires a wooden mallet of European uh, descent. Then there's the uh, lead cross that was found and uh, that takes us back to Southern France. I know I'm forgetting something. It just keeps going. And as uh, I think that, uh, oh yeah, the um, charcoal and the nail that was found together at the new serpent mound uh, that was dated between 1340 and into the 1400s. So, you know, the evidence for repeated visits is there. And part of what I'm going to be bringing out in the near future, hopefully within the year, is another reason why and the, the, those items are there. Who carried them? I actually have a specific name, and I know the castle that this individual came from, wow. and he had Templar ties. So I know who it was, I know when it was, and it directly ties in with Zena Halpern's map and the date of 1347. The evidence is mounting, it's mounting, it's mounting. And now that's not to say that that obviously, you know, the things they're pulling out of the ground, the wood, the dendrochronology is dating that to late Elizabethan to, you know, mid 1600s. So, you know, that's another layer of activity. So we have to go with the science. 
Uh, and we have to look at when those objects might have been used, who could have been carrying them, and that's what Sean's talking about. And if you keep track of those incidentals, oh God, it's a boring button. Well, that button says that somebody was on that island, where they were from, yeah. were they British, were they French? What, you know, what, what, what era were they there? So, you know, you can't overlook the humble. And over years, in fact, I view, you know, listening to Sean speak here, what Sean was saying about being in North America and engaging with the, uh, the tribes that he came across um, and, you know, not really knowing what, why he was there, but years later, it manifests itself into this project right here. And Wayne had the exact same experience. You know, he's in front of these monuments, he's working with these monuments, he's hunting, he's etc. And now here he is, you know, years later, and it's coming together. And on Oak Island, those gentlemen would have, they would have gone west. They would have gone west. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, when you think about it in its entirety, how would I find or be led to a cross pate out in the woods mm -hmm. on the Mohican Reservation exactly. and then come in contact with Gretchen Cornwall? I had no knowledge of any stonemasons, and here comes Sean. Mm -hmm. So there's a greater hand upon this, and um, I think it's just truly amazing the expertise not for myself, but for Gretchen and Sean that they bring to the level of this discovery. Yeah, absolutely. And that's you know, phenomenal that you guys would all be together in this and being able to, because we all want answers. And with the expertise of the U3 coming into this, and like we said about even the things that they found over the uh, the last eight seasons, I know they've been on the on the island longer than that. I think the Leganius have actually been there 14 or 15 years, but the show's been going on for like eight seasons now. And they keep finding all these pieces. And like you said, Gretchen, you know, oh, you found a button. Okay, big deal. It's a button. No, that button tells a story. Each piece tells a story. And that's the same thing for you guys. Now you're working on the fact that the the Templars have made their way further, further west. And like you said, Gretchen, there was nowhere else for them to go. I mean, you could go further north, I suppose. But I mean, really cold and ice and everything up there. So let's go into the interior. Let's go west. And as and, they did, now they're now you're piecing together the evidence that shows that they had done just that. Um, yes. And I think there's also, you know, like the there's some of the stones that were found, uh, like the Kensington stone and things of that nature. Does that how does that tie in? I mean, is that part of this as well? Absolutely. That's 200 miles west of Wayne's location. It shows a clear trajectory. And these, uh, this uh, site, uh, the Nightstone, site one, site two, site three, they are a clear indication of quite a lot of activity, perhaps joint, but they would have followed the natural lay of the land because that's what you would have to do as human beings to conserve your energy and your strength. You're going to do the easiest thing you possibly can because it's hard going anyway. Uh, why they did it, perhaps say, you know, I have several theories about that. Maybe that's for another day. But I feel that Wayne's location validates Oak Island. And I think that they went west and perhaps there might be other relay stations. I think they might have been attempting to build a line of travel as they did across Europe 
uh, leading to the Holy Land. Their, their whole thing was an infrastructure and roads. And they were often placed, their preceptories, commanderies were often placed at crossroads. They wanted to know who was coming into the area, who was going out, and could they control who was coming in and out. Right. So they would have been very, very used to um, uh, wanting to have that line of travel and to refresh their uh, their needs uh, for rest and recuperation. And you see that play out across Europe where as a pilgrim, you could rest with them and they could uh, take, uh, you know, you would give them your, your money so that you would pay them to go to the Holy Land. They would look after it. And they created what is a simple banking system. But what was unique about them is you could count on them uh, they were our first on the battlefield, last, they never ransomed themselves, and there was a lot of piracy going on at that time, uh, you know, not too dissimilar to today, and uh, pilgrims were being dumped overboard on the way to the Holy Land, having their worldly goods taken from them. So here come the Templars, and it's, oh boy, you mean I can actually get there safely? Right. So they're taking all that experience and they're putting it into North America. So I'm, I'm convinced there are other sites between the Kensington runestone going all the way to Oak Island. Hmm. But, you know, finding them is the kicker. And Wayne's got a jewel of a site that I believe was going to be an important commandery preceptory. Right. And there's uh, one thing that's also maybe you weren't aware of, Jeff. Um, we've discovered two additional sites. Oh, really? My, my son, Paul who was hunting. And once he started to become familiar with this, um, you have to cross a large river. And um, so he said, dad, I was back there hunting. And he said, I saw this fish symbol on a rock. Wow. I says, well, can you draw it for me? So it was, he drew it out in the old style, Greek style. Um, and, he, and I said, well, did you take pictures of it? He says, no, I forgot my phone in the truck. Oh, great. So we had to wait till the spring. And then um, hopefully find his way back out there again to the same spot. Yeah. Well, that was a challenge because I had to wait across the river and he could just walk on these logs going across. And I said, I'm not doing that. I got my equipment and I'm not falling in for nobody. Mm -hmm. So I waited across the river and we must have looked for two or three hours. And I said, well, can you remember? Well, when you're hunting, the snow cover, as the leaves come back on in the spring, everything changes. Your perception changes. Yep. So about two or three hours later, I come across this large rock. And as I was looking at it, I says, come here. I said, is this what you saw? And there I could see the fish. Mm -hmm. And there's a circle around it. Oh, really? I took, I took pictures of that. And um, Gretchen and Sean helped me with this, too. Also, I use a star mapping system mm -hmm. on my phone. I have it downloaded. Mm -hmm. So when I come across these sites, I use a star mapping system to find out which stars are right overhead at that time. Oh, wow. Because the Templars obviously use the stars to travel, right. the form of navigation. Yep. So I want to know why that, that rock is there and what star was overhead. Well, right overhead, when I brought the constellation up, it was the constellation Pisces, the fish. The fish. Wow. That's really interesting. And then my son tells me later that year, he said, Dad, he says, you got me hooked on this. Um, 
he says, I found something else. He uh -oh. says about, about three miles away in the woods. And so the next year we made another journey back through the woods and we come across these large cut stones. Um, shouldn't be in the woods. These stones shouldn't be there. Mm -hmm. So I sent them to Gretchen and, and she looked at them and she was amazed. And this is how I came to the connection of eventually meeting Sean. I sent him a couple of pictures. I said, would you take a look and give me your professional opinion? And he says, yes, he could tell that they were, uh, they've been worked, but everything was at 90 degree angles. They were large blocks. Mm -hmm. Some of them were 20 inches long. I, I've got quite a few pictures with measurements. So there is actually three sites and they almost line up with each other going from the east toward the west. So we're, we have some really good people here, I think, that can figure this out. Man, oh, man. And I know you must be really looking forward to getting over there, Sean, you know, to, uh, and something I thought about, you know, we were talking, when you were talking about the magnetic resonance, I think it was, about the, the stones themselves, uh, do you have any kind of equipment besides your own, you know, personal uh, body feeling of these things, but is there like certain equipment that you would use to be able to detect something like that in these stones? Yeah, there's there's various in instrumentation to, that can be used. I'm not an expert on it, but it's very similar to dowsing, mm. and you know what can be ascertained through those types of means. I, I you know I go with a direct feeling, and I look for actual evidence as well, and how stones have been arranged. Mm -hmm. You know, you can see see the hand of man or not. Right. And so it's it's trying to get as much evidence as possible, you know, that keeps, you know, the establishment archaeological set or group as happy as possible. But, you know, there's different ways to uh, to get to that point. Mm -hmm. And that was always the case when uh, I was working with. Dr. Andrew Sinclair on the uh, evidence of Knight Templar tombstones, which, you know, was ridiculed en masse, but actually the case is proven. And, you know, I'm not an academic. Well, I don't know, maybe I am in a certain direction, but he was very, you know, ex-Oxford uh, Don and stuff and written 80 books and all the rest of it. But it's that combination that takes the day and it's the combination of uh, you know the academic scholarly approach and also other skills as a, as a key set and that's where i think this project's gonna you know quantum leap this type of archaeological investigation and you know i'm hoping it's going to go on further because you know, this is the heritage, uh, the hidden heritage to some extent of, of mankind. And uh, it's a, I think it's a fabulous place, uh, North America, to take this forward. And who knows? You know, I mean, I, I was in Chile for several months working in the same way. I, I, you know, I came up with some revelations. And if it can be put together in a you know, cohesive scholarly way, then, you know, it's uh, it's win-win. And uh, I think we can, I think we can make a, a difference to this type of research, but coming from it, from an irregular 
in a, a, a regular lateral way. May I may I comment briefly? Uh, it's easy to I have two points to overlook what Sean's talking about, because when you train to learn a skill set, and then you apply the skill set, that's when you can over time because you're an expert in using those skills that training. You can throw out the rule book at that juncture. You don't need to think about the rules. Uh, so, you know, you don't read your driver's manual every day before you go get in the car. Right. You don't even think about it. You just do it. So there is an element of that in this as well. So um, the other issue is that uh, I find Wayne's location even more remarkable is that these stones are uh, have a high content of quartz. Um, there has been research done. Uh, you, you, we use quartz in watches. And what they're doing now, and I can't remember where I saw this, but it was an interview with a physicist, I believe. And what he was working on was uh, were these one inch by one inch square quartz crystals and imbuing them somehow. Don't ask me how, I'm not a scientist, but uh, imbuing them with actual repeatable data, not too dissimilar from when you put a file on your phone or on your computer. But he said that he could, on these one-inch squares, put the entirety of the British Library mm -hmm. in a shoebox. Yep. So, you know, these, these stones with quartz have a scientific basis for holding energy mm -hmm. and information that the human being, you know, uh, is able to be aware of at some level. Jeff, when you were asking about specialized equipment, mm -hmm. our fourth team member, ah. he does this professionally. Wow. And uh, there's some circumstances right now that are out of his control. But he, when I had contacted him in the, in the summer of last year, um, he was going to send some specialized equipment to take the measurements. Mm -hmm. I'd put them near the sites. They would read for a month and he would send them back and have them analyzed. So I look at this again from an investigator's point of view. I had to have one person looking this direction, another person looking at it this way, mm -hmm. Sean bringing his skill, Gretchen hers. Right. And, and also that other level. Uh, I don't want to say the word paranormal, but he was telling me that there's magnetic fluctuations and words that I can't even begin to pronounce. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So scientifically, I was, you know, yes. Yeah. So I was very, I was very fortunate to have talked with him at great length, right. and uh, he was willing to come to do this. And hopefully, things will work out, and he can be there. So we're trying to cover all the bases here from different points of professional views. Right. Because I know even, you know, with on Oak Island, when they found what they thought was the 90 foot stone uh, in the book bindery and then they, they brought it out and they actually did the scanning of it. I forget the name. LIDAR. LIDAR. I know Linda will know yes. it's out in the chat there and she knows exactly what it was called. But they looked at it closely with this scanning uh, process um, and, you know, you can reveal like, you know, some of the things that you found on the stone out there in uh, in in minnesota so if you if you are able to take a look at it with specialized equipment yeah 
then you can bring out and enhance what's there under that's all right. the years of, right. of, of erosion exactly and, right. and weather. So yeah. that's that's what keys me. I, and you, then you add that science to it. Now you have your expertise of the three of you bring to the table, but then also the science of actual, um, you know, the, the equipment that will be able to take a closer look at it in another perspective like you were looking for. Seeing this fourth expert, he was able to bring in GPR ground penetrating radar and lidar yep and also uh, measure the man uh, the magnetic fields mm -hmm. so we all three of the uh, the we had thought about this as a team how do we want to approach this mm -hmm. so you can see we're taking a many faceted approach and how to bring this to fruition yep absolutely you can't be lazy you can't uh uh make something up that you want to be there you have to throw every doubt at it that you possibly can and uh probable is a term theory is a term until something else comes along to overturn that theory you, you really just have to examine every little nitty-gritty and it, it, you know I, i've done a lot of uh, research and, and it, you know you'd be surprised at how many Whilst 98.9999% of the time, uh, academic uh, resources that one would read are correct, once in a blue moon, someone makes a mistake. Mm -hmm. And you can't write a book without making one mistake. You just, it's, it's just not, and I'm not talking grammar, I'm talking about, about information. It mm -hmm. happens all the time. Right. So, so you, can't, you can't take anything for granted. So right. in science, will never lie to you. And someone with Sean's experience, he knows what he's looking at. Mm -hmm. He knows. And, uh, you know, Wayne with his leadership experience, his years of law enforcement, he knows who he's dealing with when they're in front of him. He knows, you mm -hmm. know. So it's, um, I'm thrilled to see this develop. I can't wait to see how this progresses. But I want to to know what happened there and although you know sun moon and stars wish story <laughs> instead of history but there's every reason in the world to investigate this and every reason in the world for rick and marty to continue to investigate oak island because it is our history or shared history mm -hmm. as Sean right. said. exactly and just uh, just something as rick lagina always mentions you know marty and, and they're, they're similar in that respect that they want some of that history but rick leans more towards getting that history know the who what why when and where right and you have marty who says yeah let's just find some treasure so but i'm on board with rick i mean i am one of these people that i want to know the the who what why when and where and and when you have all the clues that start to pile up that leads you down a particular path, you know, people keep saying, well, there's no definitive reason or evidence that the Templars were ever in North America. I disagree. I think there is mm -hmm. enough evidence to say that they definitely have been in North America. Exactly. Went further in. Mm -hmm. But then you get the academics, some academics that are saying, no, 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 there's no definitive thing there. Yeah. So you're just, you know, for whatever reason, they're not seeing the, the picture laid out before them. Um, but you, as, as what you're doing here is you're adding more, you're gaining more evidence, more of those pieces and putting them together to come up with a clear. Exactly. Picture. It cannot be treated as a one-off anomaly mm -hmm. or be, be thought of as perhaps a colonist colonist brought over a family heirloom and then dropped it and it got lost and somebody else picked it up and oh way. Hey, the Templars were here. That's not it. That's not what's happening here. And uh, every time they dig out on that island, they find more and more and more 
more. So we're we're seeing a very rich treasure of a journey. Mm-hmm. But the more information you have, the more knowledge you have of where you could find a treasure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't just go out and start digging. Mm-hmm. You yeah. spend a lot of time. Right. Um, one, one of the things that I found amazing was with this location is that all of our evidence is in rock. Mm-hmm. Um, and as Sean was explaining, uh, it's difficult. And the Native Americans wouldn't have that capability. But um, when I was assembling this team, um, we came up with Team Templar North America for that reason. And as I talked to each one personal, um, we had many personal discussions because uh, I wanted to find out what kind of people they were. And in doing so, we come up with um, this belief that Team Templar doesn't search for gold Hmm. or treasure. We're searching for truth. Because once you find that truth, there you will also find your treasure. Right. Yep. I agree 100%. Wonderful. Wonderful. I would agree with you very much, though, on that as well, Rick Lagina. Um, we have quite a few of our, our uh, members that are out here that are watching that are that so much, you know, we've had 135 comments that's been going by here, and I've missed most of them, and I apologize. Mm-hmm members out there as I've missed most of what's going on because I'm just so enthralled with our conversation here. Um, but, you know, like Jennifer, Jennifer even said, Jennifer Branch, she mentioned that theories are just a starting direction. As more information comes in, you have to be willing to change directions. Uh, that's kind of what makes the journey. And there is no no road to follow. It makes its own road as you go along. And I think that's what you're saying. So there's nothing like being the point person in an expedition where there is no road. And Wayne, it took him a lot of courage to send that to me. And the, the one thing about the equilateral cross is it is known the world over. What makes this different are the splayed arms that I found in the carvings. That's Templar. That's medieval Europe. That's the difference here. And when we investigated the cave together, that's where I found the uh, sword, uh, where the hilt was a uh, cross with splayed arms or a split, you know. And then then I took the lichen off of the nightstone, the side of the stone, and found a uh, capped uh, triangle. In other words, a small triangle on top of a big, bigger one. There are all sorts of ways to explain that, but one of the ways that I thought about it is, is that was Templar 2.0. You can fill books with that subject. But I would like to go back because I was not able to uh, investigate and clear the other side of the stone, the night stone, because if you're going to remove lichen, you got to do it really carefully or you could stand a chance of, of ripping apart uh, any evidence or stone uh, there. So you can't just go in there and, and, and start crashing through a location. You have to treat it like a detective scene. And Wayne would very much know that and understand that. And Sean has, uh, you know, archaeology experience and knowledge. Uh, so, you know, he, he understands those principles of being, treating a site gently, even though you're dealing with big rocks. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Because like you said, yeah. that, that, that lichen or that growth on there is going to find any nook and cranny into that rock surface. And if you just rip it off, you're likely going to rip off some of that rock surface with it. 
So that's going to damage it. But I know, like you had mentioned, that you're aren't you also a member of the British archaeological uh, archaeology? Yes, I want to learn as much as I can. Uh, I watch documentaries endlessly. Um, in the UK, there's a program called Time Team. Uh, the reruns are incredible. I've seen that. Yeah, I've, I've seen that. Learn a lot by watching other professionals, and and I respect them. I don't want to sit here and say I do not respect the academic world because I do. I mm -hmm. uh, I have experiences that lead me to my own conclusions and opinions, and confidence. Uh, they have theirs, but I can certainly appreciate their skill, their education, their application, their knowledge, and I respect that. And uh, I don't want to uh, at all say that I don't appreciate science or the academic world because it doesn't matter who the messenger is. Mm -hmm. Just learn. Mm -hmm. Learn from anyone. And that's part of what made the Templars so successful, but it was also part of the reason why they were brought down when it came to the trials because they were fraternizing with other cultures. So and that was a big no-no. You don't fraternize with your uh, Muslim neighbors. You don't learn from them. You don't learn alchemy from them. You don't learn astronomy from them. You don't learn nav navigational skills from them. Yeah. Uh, so in other words, you're going to fail. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that yeah. doesn't make any sense not to. I mean, come on. If they have knowledge, and, and it's the same thing that Wayne has done here. If somebody else has knowledge to bring to the table, yeah. why not go after that? I mean, that just totally makes sense. Yeah, and there were even a few women that were invested into the Templar order as well. So uh, it's you know, one mustn't become clouded by beliefs, whatever they may be, when you're dealing with someone different who has knowledge that could benefit your own culture. Right. Uh, train, find out, you know, mm -hmm. um, uh, ask as many questions as you can, find out as much as you can. Right. One of the one of the things that I learned um, through years of police work, um, we had a homicide scene. So I had my team come in and search for this homicide weapon. Mm -hmm. And they said, we can't find it. So I called in another team. Well, this really made the other officers feel bad. Mm -hmm. And I said, just hold on, just take a breath. So they come through and they search and they found the gun. And they said, after a while, we had a meeting and they said, why did you do that? I said, think about it. Everybody hides stuff different, don't they? Mm -hmm. You know where you would hide something. You'd know where you'd put something and where you would look. I said, don't let that bother you. I said, we all look for things in different ways. Exactly. So that's how I'm trying to approach this. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah. God bless us. Uh, that's the team we have before you today. Yep. And there's a lot of people that are jumping on board to saying, I love the team name. Team Pem Templar. I mean, quite a few of the members here have jumped on board saying they that's fantastic. And I had a, I got to tell because Linda, I was talking to Linda uh, Simpson, uh, our our uh, admin here, that I said I was calling you the Templar Trio. You know, it's like <laughs> when I was getting this together, I said, yeah, the Templar Trio. You know, I'm trying to get you know everything coordinated with them on this, and, and I thought that was kind of a click. But the but the Team Templar, that's fantastic. And I uh, and it's it, it's you know, you guys are just really getting this started, but it's fascinating. And I, and I'm just, you know, I know you have more to share, but I, I can't wait to see where this goes. I mean, I'm just fascinated by it. We're in the process of right now. Um, you have to remember these are tribal lands mm -hmm. and um, there, there's a process in order to get Gretchen here. I had to go to our tribal council, explain why I wanted her here, then get permission. Mm 
-hmm. And uh, she could that at that time she could only come for ten days, and it's it's extremely difficult to do anything in ten days. Oh, yeah. But um, I, I've met with our tribal leaders and talked to them and explained um, that we have to keep this quiet because we don't need a lot of people coming there with metal detectors and shovels and things like that. And that we're not looking for treasure, gold or stuff like that. We're looking for the truth and history. Right. And so we're on that part of that stage to, to be able to be there and look for several months. And that's why we're bringing in videographers in to record this in real time. See, that's fantastic. What it, whatever it happens, we may find it's nothing. And then again, the proof is in the granite. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and that's, you know, you talk about coming out there with metal detectors and, you know, under, under controlled circumstances, I think that would be a good idea because then, just like they have done so on Oak Island, um, they would find yes. either a coin or a chisel, like we talked about with Sean there, or some type of tools that there's always stuff left behind, always. And if you can find these things by the means of the metal detectors or other equipment that you would bring on site, that just helps to validate your findings. And then you, you know, go from there. So, I mean, has that been done yet? Has there been any metal detecting in the area? Um, I'm a novice metal detector. You'd probably let me look for coins in your backyard, but uh, <laughs> um, so I'm going to leave that to another skill set. Mm -hmm. We need Gary Tracer. Yeah, I was going to say Gary. You would love when, to. When, Gary, when, we need you. Yeah, Sean has some great ideas how to go about this. So when Sean gets here, um, he will uh, bring forward that knowledge. And then once we get that, we will find the people who wish to be part of this. Right. But the only people that we will bring on board are those who respect what we're trying to do. Absolutely. And then um, so that's the way Team Templar works. Right. Yep. Yeah. You have to come into this with the mindset of like, you know, and it's something when I've talked to Dr. Aaron Taylor, who's an archaeologist on the island and also with Laird Niven. Uh, the archaeologist on the island. When I've talked to these guys, they have laid out very simply, you know, I said, oh, do you, and I asked this this question of Laird pointedly. I said, do you think there's treasure on the island? He goes, I don't think about the treasure. That's not what I'm there for. I'm right. looking for artifacts in the ground that are going to tell a story and put that story together. So he's looking for the proof in the dirt. He's not, he don't care about that. And that's something that that when they he was the first asked to be on the island, or they, mm -hmm. they put out this was years ago back in when uh, Tom Nolan and um, uh, uh, Dan Blankenship were on the island working, fighting together, working together. Um, they had reached out to archaeologists in the area to come and help validate some of what they're finding. And at that time, nobody wanted to do it because archaeologists are not treasure hunters, and he made that very clear. Right. And anybody that would associate themselves, any archaeologist would that would associate themselves with treasure hunting would probably be ridiculed in that in the field so nobody wanted to apply and laird was one of the few that said okay you know he looked at it as a different perspective and kind of what you're talking about here is that he looked at it in the perspective of let's do this correctly if we're going to do this if we're going to have an archaeologist on the island which i think they need let's do it correctly do we want to have more robert dunfields out here destroying the landscape and digging this huge hole and destroying all the artifacts around the area 
or do we want to have it done methodically and preserve what we find and document what we find as we go, which is the approach you're taking, which I think right. is fantastic. See, like both of these sites, all three sites in their totality, mm -hmm. um, the tomb has probably been only investigated five to 10 percent. See, yep. Site two was the fish symbol and site three with the, the mass of stone boulders that has never been adequately investigated. I did wow. a lot of measurements and a lot of photos wow. and things like that. But it, it wouldn't not be correct for me to come there to do that unless I had someone, Sean, leading that way because he can approach this in such a way that nothing's going to be damaged. Right. And he can look at it prior to and say, I know what to do now. Mm -hmm. So... So that's yeah. why Sean, Sean is on board. Right. No, I, I, I apologize for interrupting. I'd love to get Sean out to uh, see Ross Castle. Uh, it is a controversial site mm -hmm. with Alessandra. Who, uh, she and her husband, Tim, own that site. And uh, the uh, Templar cross pate marker that has been moved to a museum to protect it. I'd like to see a comparison through, John, uh, through Sean's knowledge Mm -hmm. of Ross Castle as compared to Site 3, uh, Wayne's site. So uh, that would be a very interesting uh, correlation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm actually I'm going to be uh, I'm going to have Alessandra on the show. She's going to be coming on here uh, with us, and I get an opportunity to talk to her mm -hmm. and get some of that knowledge as well about, like you said, the the uh, the castle there at uh, at Ross, um, and the well and the stone that she found. I guess that stone has actually been taken away and put in a museum now to preserve it, um, which is fantastic. But uh, yeah, more information, right? I mean, more stuff that needs to be looked into. That's just great. I'm really looking forward to that. I think, you know, just to, to jump in here that, uh, you know, some of my early sort of research uh, about the, the, you know, the Templar order, mm -hmm. it, they had their own system of, they had what they call Templar stonemasons or Templar masons, mm -hmm. and they undertook a very, very similar vow to, uh, to the Knights. Uh, they were actually called, there was three different groups, but I think at one time they were called the Children of Solomon. And their vow was virtually exactly the same one as the knights would take as uh, organized by St. Bernard of Clairvaux. So you can see how strong uh, the building culture was amongst the order. And... Mm -hmm. So that you know, you, we've got further evidence there mm -hmm. uh, as to you know their ability to to move stone, mine. Look at the fab fabulous castles they built in the Middle East. I mean, right these were just un unbelievable. Yep. Um, the really interesting thing that was that uh, one of Saint Bernard's. Uh, Brothers, a, a brother monk was called a, a shard and a Cistercian. He was responsible for the training of uh, medieval stonemasons in Europe, of trainees, you know, to bring into the Templar order mm -hmm. as well, because you can see a pincer movement here between the military might and also their building technical skills. Right. You know, know we're looking at 
were looking at an organization really that was moving towards creating a a, a republic you know mm-hmm. and that was obviously a, a threat you know as, as Gretchen pointed out before so you know perhaps they were investigating you know other areas like North America to try and re-establish their order because they were well aware that they were under threat you know Mm-hmm. Right. And I've kind of yeah. talked about that a little bit previously in some of my shows that that and, and it's kind of one of my beliefs, whether I'm right or wrong, I don't have anything really to back it up other than my feeling, but that <clears throat> that the Templars, you know, if they if they are escaping to North America, um, are they going to continue to call themselves the Templar Knights? Are they going to continue to carry the same name so that they can soon be found out? Oh, there's some of them still alive and they're over in North America now. So let's go after them. Or are they going to, you know, change a little bit, modify and and become the Masons or the Freemasons or work their way into staying here, but under the, you know, under a different name or different group? I mean, what's your thought? Well, they uh, they uh, uh, it was an open secret. Uh, They uh, they were across Europe and uh, they just changed their name in Spain. And the French king said, well, I want to send in my inquisitors. And the Spanish king, recognizing their ability, their wealth, you know, you don't just show up in armor. That's expensive. Trading a knight is expensive. We're talking about high-end, you know, gear today that our our, our top uh, military would have. Very expensive stuff. So the, the, the Spanish king said, well, you know, I've got a bunch of angry, high-tech, well-trained, fit men who would like to have a conversation with you. So um, the other thing is, is that that not too many people are aware of is that Portugal was carved out of, of Spain, if you will. Mm-hmm. And that is a Templar kingdom. And the first king, if you will, was the nephew of Bernard de Clairvaux. So the other thing that that might have uh, been a worry for Philip, King Philip, um, when he had them arrested in 1307, was that they might have been thinking about creating a kingdom in southern France. That's Mary Magdalene land. Uh, they had mines there, resources. It was warm. You could grow food easily. Uh, there is, uh, you know, plenty of access to uh, the Mediterranean Sea there uh, and across uh, the to the uh, Atlantic. So that would have been a choice bit of real estate. So, you know, thinking that that might be an issue, uh, th- that could be why, another reason why he attacked them. Uh, but there does seem to be a transmission of similar ideas that went forward uh, through the 1450s. I'm going to get that wrong. Uh, in Germany, uh, they were very, you know, imbued with the, the Templars and, of course, the Teutonic Knights. But uh, the, the Rosicrucian movement started there. Right. And you see a lot of the same uh, tendencies in that uh, society. And then of course, after that, you see those tendencies play out in the Freemasons. So it's more like a multi-pronged fork, if you will, rather than a, 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 and there are people who are convinced that they are Templars today and have had a clear line of succession from their family uh, traditions being passed down through the centuries. 
Yep, so. absolutely. And I did want to say too, Gretchen, that we have Judy Rudabish uh, is out there in the, and she's a, a member of our group and she's out there and she wanted to say hi. She's actually hi, watching. Judy. It's <laughs> nice to hear from you. Big hugs. Yep. We've seen her on the show and uh, we'd love to have her and uh, Aaron, um, you know, Helton come on the show. At some oh, point. Aaron. Wow. I try grappling with that map, but I'm not a cartographer and I oh, so appreciate the skill and confidence that Aaron uh, portrayed and projected, you know, in, in her, and it takes courage to come up with a theory that, that yeah. you're going to get shot down with, you know, uh, <laughs> clearly a professional woman with a lot of knowledge and, you know, you just have to keep pitching. You just have to keep at it, you know, yeah. uh, throw the baby out with the bathwater, you know, try again. And I mean, I can't do what she does. You know, maybe so. So I'm excited for to see what she'll do next. And hmm. Judy was my introduction to the war room, for which I am grateful for. And uh, yeah, so I've never met her in person, but I have a lot of affection for her and our past communications together. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> hey, G Jeff, let your Jeff uh, let your um, all your viewers know and those who join your show that uh, on behalf of Team Templar, thank you. It's humbling to be here and to have this this way to bring this to life. Mm -hmm. And uh, for that, uh, Team Templar also thanks you. Well, I tell you, it's been an honor because of the fact that, that like I told you early on when we started, you know, I am a believer that uh, the, the Templars have made their way here. And I think that they, in generations, they're still here. Um, and that, that they're in, you know, in the United States. And, and, I, and I was actually introduced to this idea prior to ever getting involved in Oak Island or anything like that. I actually forget where that came from, but I had heard a little bit about what you are talking about here today um, before I even knew of you. And, and that means that it was trickling out. Um, some of this information was trickling out because I heard about it and I am, and I'm a believer in that. And then to find out that there was an opportunity for me to have you guys on the show and come and help us to understand what you have found out so far, I couldn't pass up that opportunity. Yeah. I mean, it was just phenomenal yeah. that you would be able to come on. And so uh, the honor is ours, quite honestly. Um, Wait I, till, I, uh, many of our members are saying, love hearing this information. So that's Susan. She's out there talking about it now. Just love hearing this. And everybody's saying the same thing. Mm -hmm. well, the wonderful thing about being together as a team, I'm sorry, Wayne, is it creates a synergy and you're, you, you know, having, having people uh, watching us right now, questions and uh, it creates a synergy and it's actually very inspiring. And that can lead us yet again to different ways of thinking about mm -hmm. things. That's a team can do that for you. Right. You, you, different ways of looking at something. And that's what Wayne brought up earlier by bringing in that other team because they had a potentially different perspective mm -hmm. and way of viewing the information, same information. Mm -hmm. Just just wait till your viewers get a chance to come into the cave with us. Oh, with the pictures yeah, we haven't shown yet. <laughs> you know, that's something that, like I told you earlier, that I, I definitely want to do. I want to get out there because uh, I, you know, if that's possible, I know whatever I have to do to to uh, to to go through the um, process of being accepted there. That whatever I have to do, I'd love to because that would just be fascinating to me. Because I, I just uh, like I said, I'm a believer in this, and to be able to, and I know that that like what you were saying that you know, and even for you, Gretchen, when you went out the first time and you were with Wayne, and I read in your book that you were a little let down because you weren't seeing everything. It took that second trip out 
yeah. to be able to after the rain and the thunderstorm and your kind of recalibrating your thinking process on the old yes. thing, you were and able to go back and see so the carvings are subtle. And what I uh, I wish that I could have included this picture in my book, but uh, it's a documentary series called Buried Nights, four mm -hmm. episodes that that culminates in Portugal at a church there, which they apparently did not have a history of. And in certain lighting, you could see quite clearly a good-sized, you know, Templar cross pate uh, on the wall. Maybe I, and and the 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 guy is, you know, standing in front of it. The two hosts, you know, they were back and forth, side to side. Go, oh, that's very subtle, but it was there. Mm -hmm. And what I did was, is I took that picture. I don't have Sean's experience, but I thought, okay, well, I can see it. So I took that. And Alessandra's cross pate on that marker stone, they had the same level of erosion. And then I looked at Wayne's photographs and I thought, yeah, it works. If you can triangulate, if you can get three pieces of supportive evidence, then you've got something. Right. And you're so exactly right. right. Mm -hmm. You're exactly right by looking at that. And, and some of the pictures, you know, I looked at some of your first pictures that you had taken when you were first out there. Uh, and I, I was the same way. I'm looking at the picture and I'm like, oh, man, I'm really struggling to see it. But then when you went back and you got the second round of pictures, everything seemed to come into focus. And it's there's definitely some some evidence there. Um, something I wanted to ask Wayne, too, is that you talked about the three different sites. How close in proximity to each other are these three sites, Wayne? Um, the tomb is located on uh, one side of the river and I can't give directions specifically. Uh -huh. And then uh, the, the fish symbol is on the opposite side. And the other structure is to the, also, I can say to the east, uh, probably three, three to, I, I got it down to within three miles. Uh -huh. But it, 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 it puts that large stone structure in such a location that probably from that point, they were going further west. And that's why these massive stones were there. And you have to put yourself back in time. Mm -hmm. During that time in these forests, this is, it wasn't like what you think it is today. These were massive pine trees, probably four or five feet across, six feet across. Mm -hmm. you, could, they, you could see for 100 yards. So there wasn't all of this underbrush, which you'll be able to see in some of the pictures that I've taken. So the travel was a lot easier. And I'm sure as um, people moved into these areas and found these large stones, they may have repurposed them for other uses. Right. You're very right. And tore, and tore these buildings down. But what's remarkable, uh, what we call Site 3 or the Fortress, there's no roads there. This would have been all heavily wooded. And there was no access to it. And you'd have to make use of the stones there in order to carve out these large blocks. I know, too, that uh, uh, Judy uh, Rudabish is asking, Wayne, uh, are they relatively at the same elevation, the three sites? Um, pretty much. Pretty much. Um, I, I didn't look at my topography map when I was doing this. Uh, I was doing GPS coordinates, astrological coordinates, and things like that mm -hmm. and in line of sight because I wanted to try to get a direction from which they came. And coming 
east of Lake Michigan, it, it all fits into place. Whether they came around the north end of Lake Michigan on the west side and crossing a small land bridge, or they came down to St. Lawrence and up, it still still makes sense because at at some point, the Templars, when they came across these bodies of water, they decided to go further west. And I would have to assume it's probably due to the astrological stars that they were following mm -hmm. and why over the fish symbol, you see the, 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 the astrological sign Pisces mm -hmm. and over the, the fortress, you see the astrological sign Libra holding the scales of justice. Yep. Yeah, that's fascinating, too. And I know that in uh, what I'd like to do um, now that we have an opportunity, I, we've been about an hour, a little more than an hour and a half. What I would like to do is start to take some more of the questions from the members, uh, if you don't mind, um, at this point. And some of them have asked, are we come? Are you coming back for a part two? And I would think that, you know, if we have more information to discuss, I'd love to have you come back for a part two. But let's jump into some of the questions. Um you know, again, Judy was asking, Wayne, do you have photographs? Uh, you have photographed these carvings at certain uh, astro, astro, astronomical times, equinoxes. Ask, you know, let's see. Wayne, have you photographed these carvings at certain astronomical times, equinoxes? Yeah, the, the winter solstice, mm -hmm. the you know, spring, summer would have been pivotal. Um, it's a difficult site to get into, and I don't know, Wayne, if you've been able to get to that yet. Uh, we've just scratched the surface there, mm -hmm. and I had to. I, I really felt pressed to get this book out. You know, this could have been, uh, you know, a, a good few years of, of investigation, and then then maybe two years of writing. But uh, I wanted to. Get to get the introduction to this location out there and then continue the investigation from there. But Wayne, I don't think you did manage to get, to get there on a solstice. Um, I think Shauna asked me if I could get there or maybe it was Alessandra who wanted me to go. And yes, that would be possible, but it's, it's such a difficult slog. Uh, you have to remember we're a mile and a half off the road. And then you got to go another half mile on foot through the woods. Wow. And um, so it's just not like taking a leisurely walk. Right. Yeah. Yep. If you're, if you're going to go and stay there, especially in December, um, you're going to be there for a while. Mm -hmm. And then it was cloudy, very cloudy. So that as far sense. as this, yep. mm -hmm. as far as the sun coming through and seeing how the sun laid on the rocks and the projections, right. yep. um, it just, at that time, it wasn't physically possible. Right. The other thing too, uh, Wayne, is that, uh, and this was terrific that you brought this up. I didn't even think about it myself. So I'm learning a lot here today from, from you and Sean as well. But you had said that the uh, trees, uh, the forest, forest would have been very different when the Templars were there. Not at all the way it is today. So there might have been clearer light of sight mm -hmm. that if you were to go on the summer solstice, that potentially might not be uh, the same circumstances as they were, were. And that's where astronomy comes in handy because um, it's possible that we, we could anticipate that with specialized software. I don't have a software program like that. Uh, that's not how my mind works either, but we might be able to do that via its location and software. 
maybe Tim could help out with that. I don't know. Or um, I can't address that right now. Uh, the fourth team member um, that's kind of up in the air. So okay. we'll have to wait. But as far as uh, a second show, um, the best is yet to come. All right. That's fantastic. And I would ask our, our members, and again, I apologize, members, uh, that many of your questions, because I was so enthralled with what's happening here, I missed many of your questions. Please ask again if you have a question that you'd like to ask, um, and then we will do our best to get that out there to the team here, uh, Team Templar, and find out their thoughts on it. One question that did come, come by, and I forget actually who asked it, and it was of you, Gretchen. Your thoughts on the the what they've discovered in the show up to this point about the serpent mount on the island. What's your what's your thoughts on that? Well, uh, I would like to see more evidence. Mm -hmm. My hit is it's Native American. However, a Templar party that wanted to put their 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 stamp on the island. They, they potentially could have done that. They had the knowledge to do that. Mm -hmm. And the serpent, of course, is a is a Christian symbol. Uh, Queen Victoria's engagement ring, ring from Albert was a serpent because it was meant at that time as a form of eternity, mm -hmm. of regeneration. So it is a Christian symbol as well. Um, and be ye as wise as serpents. So it's possible. Um, but, you know, we sure could use more information. The carbon dating of the charcoal and the nail found within it, that's wild. Now, was the serpent mount there and they decided to camp next to it and, and had a, a campsite there and maybe they were working there? I don't know. So, so you know, I th I'd like to see more more evidence if they get permission to drill down into that uh, because it's a potentially a heritage site uh object now right sean do you have any ideas on that one or uh, <clears throat> no not not really uh, i'm starting to tire unfortunately so uh uh i think you know i think there's there's multiple ways to uh to go about ex site excavation and you know ground scans various uh it'd be nice actually to get uh a, th a, th a thermal uh see mm. what the, the the temperatures are ar around those rock encroachments i'm talking about the wisconsin site now and actually the the oak island site because uh, temperature temp you know land temperature also brings into play other uh interesting geophysical factors mm. and we should be you know bringing everything we can to bear on right. looking at looking at you know trying to work out what uh, what's happening and rather than approach it from just a you know in a linear fashion which you know again like Richard said earlier I've got you know a lot a lot obviously loads of respect for but you know, let's bring in some other skills to, to to have a truly team effort in so many ways. Yep, and that's exactly what they're doing on Oak Island. You know, as you if you've watched the show from the beginning, from season one, when it was just 
you know, six people on the island starting to walk around and drill some holes in the ground and trying to find out where the money pit was to now they have such an extensive team of people working there. That's exactly right. What you're saying is exactly right. You bring in the expertise, which you guys have done here, looking at it in different angles and coming up with more answers to the questions that keep propping up every single day. So it's, it's, you know, advantageous to bring in more people and more expertise, as you say. Yep. Um, there's another question on here uh, for Gretchen. It says, do you, this is from Pam Block. Do you think that the square hole in the Templar cross that Rick and Gary found represents a portal to heaven? What does oh. that actually, that mean? I, I hadn't thought of that. So, yeah. It's it, uh, looking at both sides of that cross. If you, if you're lucky enough to see pictures of both sides, it, it looks like it was poured into a mold. It's the only way it could have gotten that detail of that that hand that goes down the. Yeah, the I that hand. You know, it's very detailed and it's very deceptive, very simplistic looking because the metal is humble, but uh, it is a skillful piece. Um, the it is at an angle. I like the way the ridge is raised in, in at that squared juncture. So obviously there's purpose to it. And if you equate that to a human being, you know, yeah, yeah, sure. That's quite a quite a terrific idea uh, or way of thinking about that. Uh, and um, because it's it, you know. It, in some cultures, you, the term meditation is used. In European culture, the term prayer is used, active prayer, which is where you're, you engage your body in emotions into your effort, your what you, you want your intention and your outcome to be. So there, there are methods how to train your body and do that do that some people use drums and singing and 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 walking a labyrinth labyrinths were were uh, as chartres chartre uh, labyrinth so there are these physical ways one can train the mind and physical objects such as the lead cross uh, which is the star of this show, as far as I'm concerned, you know, in uh, the Templars were multifaceted. Everything was sacred, but everything had a practical purpose. So I hope that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, somebody mentioned, too, about the Illuminati, and I don't know anything. I, you know, I, I heard about that when I watched the, uh, the uh, what is it, Angels and Demons, or one of the two that, uh, that Tom Hanks, uh, one of the movies that Tom Hanks was involved in. The Illuminati. Well, that's I, I have no idea what they are. Okay, that's a tough one. Um, uh, <laughs> Is that a long subject for another time, maybe? Oh, yes, and and I think there's an awful lot of misconception out there. Uh, Hitler swept through Europe, and he arrested the uh, Freemasons in Europe. But there were about two million of them. These individuals that that died were judiciary doctors lawyers, anybody who was middle, you know, class, educated, whatever, um, uh, that could have launched an intellectual uh, stop against him. So he got rid of them and they wore a red triangle. And this is, and then of 
alongside that, he persecuted people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. And after he had taken care of the Freemasons, he then went after the Jewish population. Pretty much the same thing that, that, that King Philip did, only in reverse. Philip went after the, the Jewish population, took their, their wealth, kicked them out of his kingdom in 1306. Then he turned his eyes on the, uh, the Templars, did the same thing. But so Hitler at the time, there were used a lot of propaganda. What you got to do is get people to believe that the people you're dealing with are subhuman. They're not truly human. And this plays into the reptilian alien thing. Now, I'm not going to get into that, but, but there are a lot of ways to dehumanize a population base. And that propaganda that Hitler started against the Freemasons at that time got rolled forward and we're still dealing with that ghost today. Now that's not to say that there aren't bad guys in any organization. There are. Oh, absolutely. So, so, mm -hmm. but the, the Freemasons did a lot of charitable work, you know, they're the Freemason hospitals all over the place. They've become, you know, a thing of the past now because we have a different hospital system now, but they had hospitals all over the place and libraries, you know, philanthropic deeds through because it's a, Philanthropic deeds are a pillar of Freemasonry. So what this is just really quickly, my overall feeling on that, the Illuminati is a big, big subject. Lots and lots and lots of hairs in there. But if you look at it this way, you only follow the money. And if you follow the money, you're looking at the 1% of the population base in the world right now that has control of the majority of resources and money. And you'll find that in that, it's not just a certain segment uh, of, of nobility out of Europe. It's uh, Chinese. There are more billionaires and millionaires in India than just about anywhere else. So we got to shift our thinking on all this. Look for the money, as Wayne will probably say. If you follow the money, you'll find perpetrators. And we do need to shore up and make the banking system in America more equitable because they get away with an awful lot. Mm -hmm. So so that's the long and the short of it, and with a lot in between. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, with, um, we have to have you back uh, on that. That's yeah. Go ahead, Wayne. Um, with with respect to Sean. And, uh, yes, yes. And uh, I know it's getting late because we got to remember he's in a different time zone than yeah, we are. No, it's got to be getting late <laughs> and, in the night. And, uh, and because uh, there's there's so much more to this. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to allow Sean the courtesy to say if he wants to go on to continue. Well, I think what we could do at this point, I was actually thinking about maybe starting to wrap it up a little bit here. Um, and and, and uh, I'd love to have you guys back on. But go ahead, Sean. Uh, what's your thoughts? You know, don't let me stop you guys. I was just thinking about uh, getting a glass of whiskey. That's all. So. <laughs> uh, it's uh, No, no, no. I'm OK. We can continue. There's no problem with that. Uh, just one point that I was think wanted to, was on my mind was the the lead the lead cross. Mm -hmm. Quite often those crosses, uh, with it being a, a softer alloy metal, uh, you know, the Anglo-Saxons and various other uh, ancient cultures would actually, if they were going to create a bronze spearhead, would actually make the mold from stone. They would carve it into the stone and then fill the uh, fill the mold with molten bronze, wait for it to cure, and then finish finish the spearhead off. And I just, 
you know, I'm thinking that's probably how they, they must have had a master mould, obviously, for those, that variety of uh, lead cross with, you know, that curious hand arrangement, uh, an arm that sort of cuts across it, which could be carved into stone, you know, reasonably delicately. Uh, so that was just a, a sort of a point really about that uh, before, you know, before uh, before I get too tired to, to think about it. But yeah, no, fascinating stuff. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And it does look like that, that uh, cross was poured into something. I think Grenchen, uh, you even mentioned that as well. Um, because if you look at the back side of it, when they're holding it, it has more of a flat, you know, as if it was poured and that would have been the back would have actually been on top when they poured it. Uh, and then the, the actual, and, and I noticed that early on and I had said something about that, um, that hand, it looks like there's a hand coming down, down to the, to the bottom of the cross. And I, and I just brought that up in our show last week, uh, about that very thing, because we were talking about Aaron Helton's, uh, theory that, you know, that Zena uh, Helton's map has been cross, uh, pointing to the to the treasure at the whole time at the cone E, which is the bottom of Nolan's cross. Um, and I was just I had made the comment that, yeah, that hand is up, coming down to the bottom of the cross and it's saying dig here. It's telling you dig here. So I don't know. I, I know that's not why it's there, but it just, you know, it just rang funny to me that particular thing. But again, it does look like it was poured. And that's very interesting that you brought that up because I had forgotten about that very thing and that that's a simple way that they had forged metal was to pour the molten metal into something that they've carved into a piece of rock. And that's, I'm, I love your insight on that. I absolutely do. Uh, that's uh, yeah. I, I mean, one thing that possibly to get a bit more to grips with the, uh, you know, the technique, we, you know, it could be, we could make a bigger version of that cross Mm -hmm. reversed carved out to create like a big version of the cross so that we can analyze it on a on a bigger scale so to speak because uh i think that would be useful as well mm -hmm. absolutely okay so i think um uh oh i said uh, judy rudabish again was saying in many rose rosy rossi r-o-s-y group pictures uh you see the hand of god reaching down to earth Wow, very interesting. I had not thought about that either. Mm, I didn't never thought of that. No, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, that is interesting. Thank you, Judy. And she's a wealth of knowledge. I tell you, <laughs> we got to get her to come on the show, obviously too. Um, mm -hmm. I think we're going to go ahead and start to wrap it up here because of the fact that we've been we have been on for a while now, um, and I know that uh, two hours gets to be a little bit of a limit because that's kind of uh, everybody's attention span and getting tired and things of that nature too. So, um, but I would love to start to wrap it up and I get final thoughts from you guys on today show and again if you would like to come back i would absolutely love to have you come back um we could wait uh you know do it again soon or we could wait until you get a little bit more uh you know information for us but i i know this is the wrong time of year to be going out and exploring for wayne out there i don't know how much snow you may have on the ground right now out in that area if you have any at all but obviously it makes it tough to be able to get any more um exploring down in the winter months but uh this has been fantastic do you have uh, We'd like to we'd like to come back probably in a couple of weeks if everybody can do that, um, because we would really love for you to see and your viewers to see what's inside that cave and get that. and get Sean's impression. Okay. And while while the weather is a determinative factor right now, 
Um, sorry, guys, I'm not going out there and crawling around in that cave when it's <laughs> this cold. Yep. I can save that for another time. Mm -hmm. So um, um, the team can uh, decide on a hook, hook, get a hold of you and set a date. And okay. you're, that way your viewers can more can come in and see some unbelievable markings. And I'll just throw this tidbit out there for your viewers. There's three crosses inside that cave. Oh my gosh. Well, I know I'm very interested in seeing that. I'm watching the I'm watching the chat go by and everybody's saying the same thing that uh, Team Templar, you got to come back. Appreciate your time on this subject and everybody's talking about Team Templar now. So that's what you guys have been dubbed. Uh you dubbed that yourself and now that's sticking because I think it's a great name. Um and they they just think it's awesome to do that. So uh or to have that name and to come back and I I I can't wait to see it, quite honestly. I'm really looking forward nice. to that. Thank you. And then Team Templar, we're humbled by all you've done for us. Oh, no. It's it's our honor to have you here. It really is. And I know that Gretchen and I have had the opportunity, and I've had the honor to talk to her before and get a lot of her uh, expertise on the Templar Knights. Oh, man, it's just a, a fountain of knowledge, mm -hmm. and I just appreciate that so much. And now to meet you, Wayne, and you, Sean, and to know that Sean, I guess, I and I've seen some of the pictures uh, that uh, you kind of rub elbows with some royalty over there. So that's fantastic. Yes. So that's uh, to, to say that I have actually spoken with somebody who has, uh, you know, runs in those circles from time to time. Uh, and and also the Sinclairs, you know, just that part there too just fascinates me. That's like royalty in my mind. Um, that's just fascinating. Yeah, well, I mean, I, you know, and, and, and I kind of knew them all, uh, but, you know, my main mentor really was Andrew, uh, who, you know, wrote The Sword and the Grail, Rosslyn, The Secret Scroll. And, uh, but it was actually my father in Canada that gave me my first copy of this, his book, The Sword and the Grail. Uh, and in it, he said, seek this man out, you know, and I did. And, uh, I met him at the Clan Sinclair gathering in 2000, I think it was 2001, in north of Scotland. And, you know, the rest's history. I, we kind of formed this alliance, as the Sinclairs and Guns had done in previous lives to some mm -hmm. extent. So it was fascinating. And all these different paths and, you know, that I've, I've wandered over the times and years, so all sort of coming back now to Wayne's site at Wisconsin, you know, and, uh, you know, lucky to uh, connect with Gretchen as well and all this joint knowledge and it's going to expand. I'm sure other people are going to come in to, uh, to help us. Uh, you know, we're on the path. It's, for me, it's unfinished business. Right. Oh, absolutely. And we want to be a part of that, uh, what you gain uh, and when you continue this business, because uh, I know that many people, we've got some fascinated people and something I'd like to, or people that are fascinated by what you've talked about here today, but something I'd like to ask you to do also, and I ask this of all of our uh, guests that we have on, is this particular broadcast that we're doing today is available on YouTube. It's also available on our group page, um, the uh, Quest of Oak Island and Beyond on Facebook, that I believe all you are a member of. What I'd like you to do when you have time, is to go back over because there's now 251 comments that have been made while we've been speaking tonight or today. And what I'd like you to do when you get have the opportunity 
is to kind of go back through and look at some of the the uh, members' uh, comments that they've made and see if you can help answer some things. Because I know I've missed so much that they have, the things were just scrolling by as we were talking. And I know that we've missed so much. And it's absolutely fascinating and wonderful when our guests get an opportunity to go back and read some of that. And you can respond after the fact and kind of answer some of their questions. And I know that is, that's great. And I appreciate it so much. And I know they will too. So if you have that opportunity, please, please do that. And again, I'd love to have you back. I do have an opening in two weeks, same time, same channel, two weeks from now. If, if, and I know, but you, you have schedules that you have to work around. Uh, and we will talk about that as we go forward, but we'd love to have you come back and continue this. And I want to see those carvings that are inside that, uh, that cave. <laughs> oh my goodness. I can't wait to see that. Keep that date open. We'll, right. uh, we'll 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 firm it up. Okay, sounds great. And for you members out there, thank you so much for being here today. Um, and we try to do this at a time, and we'll continue this on our Saturday shows to try to do it at a time when some of our uh, friends from across the pond, so to speak, can also join us because of the time difference. And thank you so much for Sean for staying up and uh, being here with us uh, during this time as well. And that's why we want to do it this early in the day to give you an opportunity to to join us, uh, those of us, the, those of you that are out there across the across the way. So I see so much. It's still the comments are still going by. It's it's great to see that, and it's. Great to, to, again, like I said, to have you guys on board. I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up and say thank you. And we will definitely be uh, reaching out to uh, you again and to our members. We'll let you know exactly when we can have them back on to continue this and get us those pictures. So for now, I'm going to say good night or good day uh, to those of you, except Sean, good night. And uh, you guys can stick around for a minute. We'll kind of wrap up after we uh, log off here. But again, thank you so much for all of our members. You are why we're doing this. And to have our guest on to be able to share this information is fantastic. And I know that we will we'll continue on. So thanks again. And uh, we'll call Thank this you. a day.